With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. If you have championship DNA, then you know it's time to chase wins. We're uh, chasing wins this year. This is Chasing Wins. Hello and welcome back to the Chasing Wins podcast. I'm here today with my guy Jim, and uh, we have a lot to talk about. But before we do, be sure to download the Odyssey app um, and turn on the auto download feature when we drop new episodes wherever you listen to your pods. So, Jim, obviously, um, an eventful week or two, probably most notably uh, the Steph Curry Magic Johnson greatest point guard of all time debate. Um, and I think it's important to kind of touch on that a bit because it's kind of a hot topic given, you know, what a series of people have had their hand in their opinions in uh, that they offered. You know, we this morning, Michael Jordan uh, chiming in via text to Stephen A. Um, and so what are your thoughts on kind of just how this conversation, which stemmed from, uh, Gilbert Arenas asking Steph himself if you know if he is the greatest point guard of all time, and Steph not shying away from you know responding confidently in his own abilities and his own um, placement at this at that top spot. So, what do you think about that and kind of just overall the debate itself? Mm, okay, so the debate is obviously warranted because Steph Curry is climbing the ladder, right? And they're trying to, he's finally there at, at, at the very least in terms of that discussion because the league, the NBA, the ESPN, all these guys, they love to box Steph Curry into a category. They love to, you know, say, oh, he's the greatest shooter of all time, which continually, continuously puts him in the category of shooters. So you keep comparing him to the likes of Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, Steve Kerr, like these kinds of, you know, shooters. They belong in a certain category, and that's super disrespectful to Steph Curry, right? It has always been, and it continues to be. Uh, just listen, labeling him as a, a shooter, the greatest shooter of all time, is just truly disrespectful in terms of all the things that he can do on the floor, all the things that he has mastered and perfected, and you know all the things he can do, which is the reason for why he's the main guy uh, for all these championships. So that just doesn't fly. Uh, having said that, I, I, I've always said that his trajectory is the GOAT right alongside MJ. That's, but we need time. We need to, his, his career is not over and he still has more accolades to pick up just like that fourth championship, which a lot of people didn't expect that he would be able to get, right? But we knew he could get it. We knew the fifth one is definitely coming and you know, we're, we're, we're going to see whether he gets to six. Uh, you know, I liked his chances of getting to seven prior to last season, but they blew that opportunity. So massively uh, from a team standpoint, from a coaching standpoint. So, so we'll see in, in regards to where Curry will end up, but his career is not far from over. And to say for Michael Jordan, if he wants to say, because, Curry hasn't gotten to five championships yet and all these things. So he doesn't want to, you know, kind of leap him over Magic Johnson yet. That's kind of what it sounds like to me. But Michael has always talked about Curry in that way. 
uh, you know, he even a few years ago, he was like, you know, he was having this interview on TV and somebody asked him about Steph Curry and, and he's like, oh, he's not a hall of famer yet. You know, this kind of thing, you know, these subtle, whatever is, we know he's, he's a, you know, first ballot hall of famer. We know that if his career ended today, there's no question whatsoever that he's a hall of famer. Right. But Michael Jordan likes to uh, talk in this way about Steph Curry. And the one thing that I will say about Michael Jordan's evaluation abilities as a scout, as a, you know, his post career, as a general manager and owner, his track record is not very good. I wouldn't trust his scouting report. Look at all the guys that he's drafted over the years for the, for the Hornets, right? Trash. The franchise never went anywhere relevant any, any year since Michael Jordan took over. So, and then what's, what's he most known for as a, as a general manager, as a president uh, of operations for the Washington Wizards? What was it? Kwame Brown. He's infamous for that. So, uh, he, you know, just because you were, even if you're the GOAT, the greatest of all time, it doesn't mean you're, it doesn't mean that you're going to be a great scout. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a great GM. And it doesn't mean that you're going to be a great owner in terms of results. In terms of financially, obviously he made it like, you know, incredible uh, gains. But, you know, in terms of just understanding uh, which players are going to be franchise players, which are going to be not like he's his track record. His track record is a joke. It's terrible. So when he says things like this, as much as I love him as a player, I take it with a grain of salt. No, I understand that 100%. Um, let me ask you a couple questions. So when LeBron won the championship in 2016, right? Mm-hmm. What did MJ announce shortly after? I don't remember. What do you do? So they released it in 2020. You know, you remember what this was, right? They released this documentary in 2020. His documentary? Yeah. MJ's documentary? So so what had happened was LeBron had won the title. Okay. And then MJ announces we're going to release The Last Dance in a few oh. years. Oh. What do you think that was about? Okay. He's just asserting his dominant dominance over asserting and, and all that. And his, yep. Asserting his placement in history as the greatest preserving his legacy and and the romanticization and the the what's the word almost his greatness yeah like the tale and the and the the aura that that he that 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 was the 90s that that they dominated the bulls mm-hmm. so okay now think about that right jordan has this tendency to reject anything that supports or uplifts the current era because he views it as something that takes away from his own. So when LeBron wins and he's, you know, put in these GOAT conversations or when he comes out and says, that one right there made me the greatest of all time, that made me the GOAT, Jordan has this inclination to correct that with through either media well, actually, not either, through media, because he released a documentary a handful of years later. And then today, what does he do? So, so okay, what happened? So um, Steph calls himself, doesn't really call himself. He was asked a question. He says, yeah, I think I'm the greatest point guard of all time. Yeah. And then Jordan texts a media member who's on TV, one of the biggest ones. And basically, and you don't, I don't think Stephen A. Smith would have read that text out loud and on TV unless Jordan gave him the okay to. So, cause he want he values that connection. He values that relationship. So that would be putting it in jeopardy if he did something that would have, um, you know, if Jordan had, you know, felt a type of way or he didn't verify with him, it's like, is this okay to actually say out loud? I'm sure that they had that little conversation thereafter. Okay. So you think about that. Jordan, Okay, now let me ask you this. Which era did Magic play in? You could argue the 80s, right, with Bird. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But which era did Magic's career overlap with? MJ's. 
Okay. And they played in the finals in 1991, and MJ beat Magic. Okay. So, again, think about this connection. Think about this idea of Jordan making an attempt to not only preserve his legacy and the and the tales that are told um, and, and the story that was written, he's trying to control the narrative, right? And so now he every time something gets buzzed, LeBron, huge accomplishment, maybe puts him in the GOAT conversation. Steph asserts himself in his career uh, and, and, and says, yes, I think I'm, I'm the greatest point guard ever. Jordan finds a way. He 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 inserts himself into into the conversation or into the media, and finds a way to kind of redirect and recapture his own greatness. Uh, and I just find it interesting that there's been a, a little bit of a pattern here with that. Uh, and it speaks to his insecurity in a way because it's not necessarily over. He's doing it through someone else. It's almost vicarious. Where like he's doing it through a documentary or he's doing it through a media member, right? He's not necessarily going out word of mouth and saying, no, Steph Curry isn't. He's saying, I'm going to be your secondary source, and I, I want you to relay the message through me or through what I believe or think, right? That's kind of what the last dance was. It, it was MJ-centric, but at the end of the day, um, you had a bunch of people telling their side, and it was kind of a collection of voices and of of personalities throughout that uh run and throughout that era that that added context to what it had to how that unfolded so like i just think this doesn't surprise me right like the my first reaction was like oh well i know like th th this is like okay of course mj's gonna say this because um you know it kind of it kind of pisses you off a little bit as a steph fan where you have the greatest player ever in our eyes saying something like this and it's like oh okay well he said like you said the hall of famer comment comes to mind it's like oh well he's he's actually said something like this before um but then you think deeper about it and you're like well what purpose would it serve him and then on top of that uh there's been a a precedent he said when when certain conversations are had there's like a certain pattern that he tends to um, employ. And so, yeah, like this kind of doesn't surprise me. And I expect if Steph wins number five, I think he's going to double down. I think if Steph gets to number five or six, I think you're going to see Jordan even expand even greater on how great, you know, Magic Johnson was and, and all of that stuff because this wasn't even a conversation two, three years ago. Like when Steph was stuck at three, they wouldn't even put him above I, I, Isaiah Thomas. They were, yeah, like this wouldn't even have been like a discussion. But because Steph's at four and because, you know, number five is on its way and now these conversations are starting to heat up, that's where Jordan has to step in and say, whoa, 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 whoa. This is what it really is. This is how, this is how it should be ranked. He did it with LeBron in 2016, right? LeBron, like I said, put himself in the GOAT conversation and Jordan steps in and says, "Look, this is what this is what it is. This is how it this is how it unfolded. This is what the the real this is what the real is." And so, yeah, he's trying to do that now. Of course, uh, there was almost like a tone where Stephen A. read it, where it was like it was like a matter of fact. It was almost like uh, I actually, like, yeah, I yeah. actually found out about it through a DM. Somebody DM me, and they were like, "And this wow. is like the biggest. Uh, this guy might low key be a bigger fan of stuff than me." which is really wow. hard to do, okay? Uh, but uh, he was like, well, the GOAT said it, so I guess I'm okay with that for now. And I'm just mm. like, mm, yeah, yeah, so this is how people kind of feel when the GOAT speaks or something along those lines. But I, I think a little more logically than that, I, I think, like I explained, uh, I go back to Michael Jordan's past, his ability as a, a scout and all these things, and it's just not there. He's a casual, in my opinion, because... Do you think Michael Jordan sits there and watch, watches all the Steph Curry games? I don't think so. I highly doubt uh, it. No, I don't think so either. I don't yeah. think so. – I'll be honest with you, and this is just pure conjecture based on a pattern of um, kind of how he's spoken about Steph and sort of just the way he goes about um, these conversations. 
I don't even think Jordan respects Steph's game. Like, I think he, like, did you, you read the text, right? And that didn't even surprise me. I'll be honest, like, the moment I kind of realized this was when he said the Hall of Famer comment. And and then you kind of hear him say to Stephen A, if that text was real, which I think it was, but who knows. He's like, he's the greatest shooter ever. It's like when people, like, when, I don't think he respects Steph's game. I think he just views him as, like, a shooter, which is fine. He views him as Reggie Miller, bro. Like, I think he puts Steph in the Reggie Miller category, kind of like what you said, like, he just kind of puts it like as if Reggie was averaging 25 plus for like multiple seasons over seasons over seasons. Like, and the main guy of a championship team, Reggie. Yeah, multiple times, multiple yeah. times. Like, and, and see Jordan like beat Reggie, right? He beat that great shooter. At one point, Reggie, Reggie Miller was considered the greatest shooter ever. And then Jordan beat him, right? And it's like, oh, I beat the greatest shooter ever in my era. Like, I beat him that at night and during my time. It's like, this guy's the greatest shooter ever now. Sure. Yeah, like, but like, yeah, and, I, don't think, I don't think he respects Steph. I'll be honest. I don't think he respects That's, that's interesting because they do have a relationship. We've seen it. We've seen them have interviews yeah, a little together bit. and talk to each other. Yeah. Because uh, they both love golf and they connect in that way. Mm -hmm. uh, but also, I don't know. There's, there's a lot to say about it. But, you know, this is literally the whole magic johnson steph curry that that's a whole debate to be had on its own number one by I the way reggie miller never averaged over 25 points per game ever in his career oh yeah not even close i think uh, he I, came close a couple times but uh he, he had a 24.6 point per game season did he really? and then yeah and then after that it was 22.6 but at, but after that it was nothing even near that so right so he and also mj all oh, early in his career i see wow okay yeah. but, but see, steph's average 25 plus one two three four five six seven times wise it's not even close but well, and, and mj know. knows that mj never mj would never was a fan of these these elite shooters you know he had trouble yeah. guarding raouf uh that's true Mama raouf and he uh, he had a lot of trouble with uh, what's it, uh, uh, Drazen, I think. Yeah, Petrovic. Petrovic, Petrovic yeah. Yeah, he he schooled him, and so he, he was never like he probably doesn't even consider Steph Curry kind of at all in terms of next to him. I feel that because if he feels like he's still below Magic Johnson, we know he thinks he's better than Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah. That is so. Oh, he can't. Steph Curry can't touch me. Like that's probably where his mind is right now. So he'll just have to. We'll, we'll just have to, ha, you know, have time tell the story overall at the yeah. end of the day. We'll we'll, yeah. we'll table this conversation um, longer form down the line. Like we'll definitely have an episode where we have a longer, a more in depth, uh, very granular conversation on like Steph versus Magic and what makes Steph greater. Um, so we're, we're going to, we'll shelf that for another time, but we just wanted to kind of touch on, um, just these comments overall and kind of the, their placement and, and just the, the surface level, uh, discussion on, on how we, what, what our thoughts are. Yeah. Uh, having said that, more, having said yeah, that, I just want to say that I do think that Steph Curry is better than Magic Johnson, all accolades and all that stuff aside, just as an, uh, overall player, as an impact player. Um, and people talk about it in many different ways. Like, you know, some people say, oh, it's harder to replicate what Magic Johnson did at his size. Uh, it's harder to, it will be harder to find another Magic Johnson. Uh, we'll see another Steph Curry before we see another Magic Johnson. Nick Wright said that. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, well, what are you trying to say? Uh, there, you know, like, we'll see, we'll see another MJ. Before we see, a, uh, I mean, we'll see we've another seen, MJ before we see another Magic well, Johnson. I don't, I don't even like speaking in the future tense like that. We've seen a, another MJ. We've seen Kobe. Exactly. Like, is he not the remix of, of exactly. MJ? Like, five my, titles. Yeah. Yeah. But my point is that just because you say, oh, well, there's likely going to be another MJ before Magic. If a Magic Johnson fan was like, you know, we'll see another MJ before we see another magic to imply that it's harder to be magic. Right. right. Yeah, that doesn't yeah, mean yeah. that magic is better than MJ. That ben doesn't Simmons, change the fact that MJ is still better. We've seen yeah. LeBron. 
LeBron's closer LeBron. to Magic than yeah, Jordan yeah, yeah. in terms of play style. LeBron, you got Ben Simmons. Like, no, 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 no. I don't like it when people bring up uh, Ben Simmons. I understand, like, but that's just. But I'm talking about more so from a play, from a from a passing standpoint, in terms of just a six nine, six ten forward who can just make plays and see over the top of defenses. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I know what you're saying though, but but what are your thoughts on just really quickly, and then we'll 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 shelf this on on yeah. the Ben Simmons thing. I'm just curious, what do you think? Yeah, no, I don't, I don't, because there is components to Magic Johnson's game that, um, for, from a certain consistency standpoint, a certain dominance uh-huh. standpoint, that of course, of course, I don't think that Ben Simmons ever had, even when he had full confidence. So. That that shows you how hard it is to get to the level of a Magic Johnson, who the guy, a guy who's averaging like you know 11, 12, 13 assists I'll put it this way, like this. This is gonna this is gonna. I don't know how you That's feel a about point this. Forward. Mm-hmm. This might be a really hot take, mm-hmm. but Ben Simmons is closer to Magic Johnson as a passer than anybody is to Steph Curry as a shooter ever. That's my opinion. Mm. As a point forward, you mean? Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just as a passer, just as a play, as a passer, I think Magic is the better overall playmaker. But I think just make when you talk about passing the basketball, I think I don't think anyone comes close to Steph as a shooter with respect to Ben Simmons versus Magic. Like, because think about it, even you look at guys like Ray Allen, Reggie, those guys are at the top of the list, and then you look at Dame, and you look at like there's only a few names that come to mind. I don't think Dame is near Steph as a shooter, not even close. Like he Dame just hit 40% for a season like two years ago, and that was because of the bubble gave him a boost. Dame is not even near Steph as a shooter. Definitely, there's definitely levels to this. He, yeah. Lillard is the closest thing, but he's you know not not that close. Well, you look at the playoffs too, like the playoffs, Lillard isn't even near like Steph still gives you around 39-ish percent from three on like 11 attempts. With the think about the shot quality, think about like the degree of difficulty and all that, the the range and the and the volume. Dame doesn't have the volume, he doesn't have the percentage, and he damn sure doesn't have the um the the shot quality that that Steph off of screens, off of multiple defenders, yeah, defense, all, you know, movement, all that stuff. Things, yeah. yeah. So I just think it's a conversation, but I think Ben Simmons is probably closer to a passer to Magic than than anyone is to a shooter with Steph. Like people. Act like players are just going to walk into a gym one day, work their butt off, and just turn into Steph Curry. That's not how it works. Steph's hand-eye coordination is literally genius level. Like his muscle to memory, his ability to kind of figure out, like we see it with his golf game. We see it with like other things, trick shots. Like Steph is superhuman in terms of hand-eye coordination. Mm -hmm. So that's a a once-in-a-lifetime type of person and and human being. It's not just like you step into the gym and work hard and then you turn into Steph. Like, sure, you can be a great shooter, but what Steph can do is literally not normal. Like, it's just not. Um, Anyways. That's that's the underrated aspect of him. There are people who are of his size or bigger than him who actually, and they're not even NBA players, who actually feel like they can. Steph said this. He's like, these people come up to me and they actually think that they have a shot against me. You know, so the general disrespect is there. I would say before Ben Simmons, I would I would give LeBron James uh, the credit. Sure, yeah. as, LeBron's as a way closer, playmaker, way closer. passer, stuff like this, because you know he's a he's more of a scorer. That's why he doesn't assist as much. But if yeah. he wanted to, I think he showed that a, like a season or two ago, where he, did, he averaged he more than ten a double digit assists. 
He won so the assist title. Yep. Yeah, he he's capable of that if he wants to focus on that. You know what I mean? So I think 100%. from that standpoint, LeBron is much closer than a guy like Ben Simmons. But yeah, I think. So um, let's move on to the yeah. shorter list topic of the day where um, so there's potential free agents that we've heard uh, the Warriors to fill in that 14th spot. Uh, Blake Griffin was a name that Amico Hoops mentioned. Also, just um, there was another name that was mentioned uh, earlier today. JaVale McGee obviously getting uh, waved and stretched or, or stretched and waved by the Mavericks and, you know, Warrior fans suggesting him as an option. So what do you think about JaVale, Blake? I know you mentioned uh, earlier off off camera, TJ Warren. Um, what do you think about just – like filling in that 14th spot, I'm going to mention a name, JTA. Um, and so there's just a handful of guys out there, but I kind of have my own perspective on what we should do. But what are your thoughts on that overall? Okay. So if I had the choice between those names that you just mentioned, my first option, my op- first preference is going to be TJ Warren. Uh, because TJ Warren, I understand that his minutes have dwindled in recent years because he came back from injury and all this kind of stuff, right? Before that, he was averaging 19 points, 18 points, 20 points. Like this, this is a certified scorer in the NBA, a certified starter. Uh, and so a guy like that, it reminds me of a guy like Otto. We didn't know what we were getting exactly when we got Otto. We know that we got a super vet and uh, a guy that is going to know how to play, right? That's the general kind of consensus. He's going to fit in nicely with the team. Uh, And it was a really great kind of addition uh, for that cheap of a price. I feel similarly for a guy like TJ Warren. This is is a guy, if, if a coach gives him the proper role, like like he once had, I think he's capable of having a season where he, he would command 10 million per year. Easy. He's 29 years old. It's not like he's, you know, 37 and in the final legs of his career. It's just like Otto. He was 29 when the Warriors picked him up. So I think he fits in really well in terms of kind of potentially filling in that gap as a, uh, as a small power forward kind of thing. Uh, I, I think he, he can play defense offensively. If you give him open space to work with, he will hurt you. I think he will hurt you easily and badly. So I think he fits in really nicely with the Warriors in that regard. If, let's say, for example, like an insurance policy for Kuminga almost. If Kuminga, for whatever reason, continues to be inconsistent in his third year, then you have somebody, a veteran that you can rely on come playoffs. You need that. You need that insurance policy. Uh, and then. I actually don't mind the idea of Blake. I think some of the skill sets that he has at this point as a floor spacer, like he can shoot the three. We've seen him shoot the three and make it in the playoffs and and big stages. Uh, So he's not scared of the moment uh, and he's a veteran. He's a great passer. So he would be really good for uh, the warrior system in that regard. Defensively, he uh, in the playoffs, at least he, he really, you know, puts in puts in max effort because he's one of those players now where he has to be that kind of player to stick with an NBA team. And he still, you know, can be a lob threat and all these things. Uh, he's played with Chris Paul, obviously. So there's history there. So I, I, I kind of like that fit as well. As for a veteran minimum, uh, that's, yeah, I like that, the presence of a Blake Griffin. Uh, JaVale McGee, I, I mean, the Warriors have have Davis. With a shot blocker, he uh, rim threat, uh, vertical threat, uh, all these things. That uh, a great passer, he adds elements to the game that a guy like Javale McGee doesn't. So I don't necessarily see the need for that. I understand why Warriors fans may want a backup center of sorts that, that can protect the paint and stuff like this. Um, that's always a good thing to have. But you also drafted this 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 kid who has more abilities on the floor, so I'm less interested in him. Um, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, um, as far as JaVale goes, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head. Like, we didn't draft Trace Jackson Davis 
to sign JaVale McGee. Um, a lot of what JaVale can do is are things that, that Trace can do in his own right, right? Like rim rolling, diving, um, running the floor in transition, being a vertical spacer, a lob threat. Now, I'm not going to pretend that Trace is like a seven-footer because he's not, right? JaVale's like a legit seven feet. Yeah. Trace is like 6'9", undersized. I get it. But first of all, we've never been a team that's like thrown seven-footers and like these bigs out there post-2019. Like ever since then, we've been mostly like wing slash like undersized big heavy, right? Like in 2021, 2022, 2023, like we're not throwing like our backup five last year or even two years ago was like Bielitsa. And the dude was like not even a five. Like his skill set's like a four because he can pass and shoot and do all that stuff. So you have to play him next to Looney or Draymond to actually like cover up his deficiencies because he literally can't play the five. Then you look at a guy like even last year, Jermichael Green, like he's a six, 10 maybe less like forward like he's not really even a five and he didn't even play well at the small ball five but he was supposed to be like that de facto auto porter like small ball five scalable forward that can kind of like shift between positions and rebound defend you know hit an open three like that kind of thing it just didn't pan out he can't defend he can't defend and and he was his shot was a little inconsistent but but the thing is this is that Trace can already do the things JaVale can as a, at a backup center role and more like he can play make within the offensive schemes we have. Like JaVale can't really run DHOs like that. JaVale can't really run like, or make plays like a kick out or like in transition, finding guys or reading the defense and like throw a skip pass. Like these are things Trace can do already at the age of 23. On top of that, Defensively, I don't see a big – like, if you were to sell me on a backup big, it'd have to be from the vantage point of, like, a positive defender. And I don't think JaVale's a positive defender at this stage. He's 35 years old. He's not a, He's not switchable. We are Like, Trace Jackson Davis is far more switchable than JaVale is at this stage of his career. And as a rim protector, like, I get it. Again, seven feet. We've seen him, like, you know – block shots at times, but I don't even think he's a great positional defender to begin with. And it's like, it's funny, like this fan base kind of forgets what they've complained about when they had certain players, like they almost glorify or like have this certain remember, like they remember things in a certain type of way. Like JaVale was this incredible, like JaVale was getting DMPs for multiple series straight when he was on our team. The only series he actually got like consistent run in was like the Cavs in 2018. I, I could remember like he didn't really play many like he played in spots and spurts. But when you talk about like a consistent 15 minutes in, in a playoff series, consistent 10 to 15, he really wasn't getting that until like w- like only for like two series, maybe three series. So my point is is that it's not like Javale is necessarily this player that you're gonna play at all times. He's like this must-have, you know, must-skill set addition that you you have to add to the team because, you know, I just think they overlap a lot with Trace Jackson Davis, their, their skill sets. And then on top of that, I think, like you said, like Trace fits what we do better, like from a just overall uh, fresh leg standpoint, right? And then on top of that, fitting in within the offense, like screen setting, diving, like understanding how to read the defense and make plays and make, you know, read the play before it develops, um, see the play before it happens. He can even like throw like bounce passes. And we've seen him like do so many uh, playmaking, you know, an array of passes and all these things. So I just think that's a huge add. And I think we'd, we'd be doing a disservice to our draft pick to, essentially move away from that and play a guy who basically does the same things and probably at a worse level. So I don't really see much of a difference other than you can argue a few things, right? Like JaVale has him beat with size, just seven footer experience. 
uh, just being in the NBA for over a decade, like having played and, and been around multiple players, but even with the Warriors, just having played with the, within the system before, like you could argue JaVale's experience is, is definitely way greater. And then on top of that, maybe a couple other things, right? But like, I don't see that gap being enough for me to like, I'd rather Trace be the backup big. I think the whole point of like leaning into these players is like, cause we we, we just traded for Chris Paul. If there's a guy that's going to elevate them, it's going to be CP. And I've seen Trace's defense and I know it's only summer league, but I do think Trace projects to be an above average NBA defender. So at the end of the day, like if we're looking at a backup big, I think we have one already. And I don't see us like in 2022, Nemanja played only like spot minutes in the playoffs. Like he didn't even see any time against Memphis until like game six for like eight minutes. He didn't really see a ton of time against, um, against uh, Denver. And he only played like a handful of minutes in games one and two. And then we didn't really see him much at all against Dallas. We saw him play against Boston for like stretches, but like, there's no reason why Trace can't be effective for like pockets and spot minutes the same way Bielitsa was. And he's even better, I think, at a lot of the things Bielitsa has struggled with, which is like just being an athlete. Uh, yeah, Bielitsa is a better passer and shooter, but like Trace is probably a better defender at this stage, a way better rebounder. Like I just, I find a lot of these differences trivial. And I think Trace's ceiling is a lot higher than both of them. So. Even though he's only he's 23, 24, like I get he's older on the side of prospects, but I just think there's no point in drafting him and then trading for CP if we're just going to move away from like what he does. We're going to bury him in the rotation for what? Like we drafted a 24 year old, like he can play right away. Yeah. It's almost, he's more like an insurance policy than anything else. But what about the other names? Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of Blake, I think Blake, uh, he can't defend. But he has some offensive fit. Like, he can pass pretty well. He can run the floor a little bit. He's just way older now, so it's tough. Can I tell you something? Yeah. He's – I think he he would do way better as a stretch four for the Warriors than whatever Kuminga has shown um, over mm. the first couple of years. of it. Like, you know what I'm saying in terms of fit? Because – What's what's the problem with Kuminga? It's the rebounding, right? Blake can rebound. He can rebound a little bit. He can yeah. rebound. Uh, he can. At the he five, can, he can't though. At the five, he can't. But at the four, he I doesn't think. need to play the five. Oh yeah, yeah. No yeah, one yeah. would ever ask him. But to you play think? The five. But I think Steve might play him at the five at times, which no, would be a mistake. No, no, no yeah, he, he would, would. He would. He would pair him up with a Draymond or something like that. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Yeah. So you're right. He. I don't think he, it would be. It would be a disservice. It would be it would be malpractice to play Blake at the five without any unless yeah, he wants course. to just go fully juiced offense. No, and no, like no. like well, maybe Never. maybe like for like a couple minutes against no. a certain matchup. Like if no, you're no, playing no. hold on, Juan, if you're playing Denver, I don't think it's a, the worst idea to like it's the worst idea. <laughs> no, no, but, but even for like three minutes, force Jokic to like have to guard a little bit. Like no, I no no. Dre, you, you want to mix it up though. You no, Dre. Mix it up if you want, bit. if you want to be dominant in the playoffs, if we're talking about a playoff scenario, right? You more cannot so, have more so regular season, more so regular season. Oh, playoffs. I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that unless it's like you, you're <clears> down by like twelve and you just gotta like get a bucket. But like, it never makes sense to put a guy who can't def- defend or protect the paint or like be able to uh, play help defense. At the center position. That's why when Draymond went out and they tried to put Bielisa there, it was a disaster. But our offensive rating went up. Like, I, I know what you're saying, but what I'm saying is, like, of course it's not ideal, but if Draymond's in foul trouble or we're down by a bunch of points and we need to go to, like, a stretch, like a five-out offense, Steph, you got, like, Wiggins, point of attack, Clay, somebody else, whoever, and then... And then Sarich or whatever. And then Blake, like, I don't think that's like a very bad lineup from a defensive standpoint. I'm just saying like in a pinch, if you need like a couple of buckets, I I would look at that lineup because Draymond is like, he's always going to handicap your offense somehow, some way. Like teams are just going to cheat off of him. He's not like a great finisher. 
he ranked like 13th, I think, in finishing talent this year. Like, uh, he can't space the floor at all. And he's kind of like predictable as a playmaker because teams just play him for the pass. So I know what you're saying. Like, obviously, I would like never go to that lineup unless like there was only like a very specific situation we had to. But yeah, you're right. Like the big idea here is, is that Blake at the four isn't a bad option. So you're right. Like, I think you can pair him next to Draymond and they can both pass. And Blake can kind of stretch a little bit. He can rebound. He can stretch. Like, I, yeah, I like his shot. Three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, is it And he gives you a little bit of rim pressure, a little bit of rim pressure. For sure. It, it, this is an interesting, interesting conversation because we're talking about uh, where players can fit and how that could work out for the Warriors versus uh, like me saying what what wouldn't work, right? Um, there's a reason why I wanted a guy like Nerlens Noel so badly. Uh, and it's because the Warriors, from a defensive standpoint, they didn't have like a <clears throat> reliable rim protector at all. And so I thought, and size, obviously, right? They keep putting Kaminga at power forward and that just, right? So uh, I didn't want that. Uh, and that was a major part of why things didn't work out. It's the little, it's the simplest thing that breaks up that connectivity that we always talk about. Uh, and that's the same thing defensively. If you, no matter how good you are offensively, if if you're putting out a lineup where the backbone of your defense is a guy who can't defend, you're never going to be able to retain any lead. You're always going to give the other team an opportunity to score and keep up with whatever scoring that you're putting out there. Uh, and so if you do that, then you become vulnerable. That's how you become one of these not middle-of-the-pack teams because you can't be consistent defensively. That's what separates a team. Uh, that's why I always focus on that end of the floor, especially from the front court standpoint, because that's the backbone of your defense. So, yeah, you can't, you can't, I, Blake Griffin, a guy like Blake Griffin, I would pick him up strictly as a potential uh, four, a stretch four, never as a, as a five. Never. Did you know, um, did you know that Blake Griffin and Robert Williams played zero minutes together last year? No. In Boston? No. So, like, that's pretty crazy, right? Like, you, they didn't even, I mean, and that part of that had to do with. Um, they put Tatum at power forward, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm saying part of that had to do with, like, injuries and stuff. And Blake was kind of out of the lineup at times. And Rob took some time to come back. But my point is, is, like, that's, I mean, that's a missed opportunity. Like, I think that could have been a positive lineup where, like, Blake at the four, Rob at the five. And they can kind of. Oh, compensate i know why because they had grant williams who basically part, can yeah, do yeah, all the things part. that blake does that's probably even better happens. even better yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. but like th- but it's kind of like a similar concept like a draymond and blake at the four or five like it's kind of the same thing of like because rob williams is like six nine ish six ten and like yeah. or is it actually he might be like six eight six nine six nine ish i think draymond yeah. is like six 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 seven six six yeah so like it's kind of the same concept. Like they're both rim protectors in different ways. Like Rob is more of like a shot blocker. Draymond's more of like a, like a rim deterrent kind of, but my point is, is that like, we never saw that, but I would, I wonder if that would have ended up being a positive lineup because yeah, if it, it's very similar. Yeah. As like this, this is where it might've helped is if Grant Williams ended up getting hurt, injured for right. a length of time, then you have this other veteran that can come in and ably yeah. replace that. Right, that's what right, you right. need in terms of depth, and Absolutely, what, yeah. yeah, useful guys, even if they're at the back end of your bench. Yeah, 100%. I don't, I don't like the idea of JTA. No offense, uh, JTA is a good oh, guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's he's a Bay Area legend and all this stuff for sure. Uh, in terms of vibes and stuff like this, but I don't think Steve knows how to use him. I think he's a hustle guy. I think he's a guy who comes in, uh, plays a, a minor role, but a, and an energetic role, right? But uh, Steve kind of ruined him in terms of what he could be for the Warriors by giving him too much to do, try to give him that Draymond role when he's not really a passer, right? So he just thinks that anybody that plays that position can, like, you know, it, but it, pass the ball elite, like, see the floor, see what's going on. That's not who he is. So, and so, so let me also say this, by the way, um, as far as JTA. I actually think he might be one of the better options in terms of potential fits. And I agree with you in terms of like 
I don't think Steve can optimize his skill set. I think he puts him in weird, weird spots at times and stuff. But like, I do think there's value in having a guy that's six eight out there at times and just connecting lineups, especially defensively. Like JTA is a guy that, like, he's more like the def- defense first, right? He's not gonna be like trying to look for a shot or anything like that. And I think there's like a there's a lot of value in having a guy like that. Um, now, obviously, like he's not necessarily talented offensively, and and Steve kind of uses him like Draymond sometimes, and it's kind of like a weird like fit kind of. It just doesn't work. That's a stupid way to use him. But I do think locker room presence, familiarity with the system, and just in general, like just having a guy that's been been around the team, been around the roster, know how things works or knows how things work. And, and even like just having a wing, like he's a wing. Like, I I don't think you can have enough wings. Now I will say this. I would heavily consider TJ Warren. I just don't think he's a, he's a positive defender. So like we would have to be kind of gearing in a different way. Like JTA is a positive defender, maybe a slight positive, but he is a positive defender. So I do think like I'm looking at that. And if you put like a JTA next to Draymond or like a JTA next to Looney or something, um, I I still think that there's a chance like that can kind of uh, still be like a viable lineup just to buy minutes. Like JTA can buy minutes throughout the year for Wiggins. He can buy minutes for like certain guys. So, so okay. So I'll yeah. say this. Um, if you can get, if you had the choice between TJ Warren and JTA, you got to take TJ Warren every time. I it's think TJ's close. more TJ's more talented. It's not even close. But like, would T, how would TJ receive like DMPs? Because he would get some DMP. Well, well, that's the thing. I think yeah, JTA okay. is happy. JTA would be happy to play behind Kaminga. Like yeah, he would of be course. happy to do. It. Yeah. But I think TJ Warren would be like, I mean, this dude's like what 21, 22, whatever he is. Like, I watch it. Like he he's a vet. He's like a legit scorer. Like, and I agree, TJ is the better player just overall, but I just think like locker room matters. And then on top of that, uh, like defense, I think we need some defense. Now, again, neither is, I don't think going to play like big minutes in the playoffs. And I don't think the gap defensively is like huge. Like I would say the gap offensively is probably bigger than the gap defensively, but I still think like we need a defensive minded team. And I just feel like TJ doesn't necessarily add, anything from that standpoint but if you were to tell me who 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 would we add i would say tj only because he's just better like you you always want to go with the talent and i think we can make it work but i don't think jta is an nba talent i think i don't i don't think so either but i think he can be a good locker room presence i also think he can be a positive defender I don't, I don't want a NBA I don't want a guy you I don't want a guy you can't use come playoff time because when shit hits the fan sometimes guys get injured and you'll have to dig deep and that's what happened you know in the right, latter latter KD think, years you you're using like TJ, Quinn Cook you're using uh Okay can I can I ask you this if uh-huh. if TJ Warren is more reliable than Kaminga by this year's playoffs then we're not winning the championship I disagree with you really? disagree. Oh, Okay okay because <laughs> Because the only reason Kuminga was a problem was his like just lack of maturity, lack of understanding of the game, lack of understanding what his role needs to be. I don't think that TJ Warren has any of these issues. And I think he is a vet. I think he's a, a professional. He knows how to play and he knows where his value lies. And yeah. He's but never been known as a locker okay, room problem where, guy. Where do you either. put Kaminga? Where do you put Kaminga in terms of like, like, do you have him at the eighth man, the ninth man? Like, what do you have? Probably ninth at best. Okay. Unless he takes a major leap, which okay. I don't even know how he takes a major leap with the Warriors. He has a limited role, no matter how you slice it. And okay. So, so let me ask you this. So, okay. So who do you have at six, seven, eight? I guess it would be Chris CP, Paul. GP, and then Sarge. Yeah, clearly. That's fair. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and we'll see about Trace. I don't know. I, I kind of see what you're saying. I see I see it. Um, don't rely too much on Kuminga, I would say. Don't rely too much uh, because until okay. he proves himself. 
because this is what we did last year too, uh, in, in year two. People got mighty sensitive about how good he is and what he's going to do, and he did absolutely nothing. <laughs> so no, that's right, a disaster. Right. No, you're do right. Do not take right. that off the table as a My possibility. My thing is, though, like, if Kaminga isn't good, then... Then you got to replace him. That's all you got to do. Then we don't have... Then I think we should just... Tra- we got to go for a trade at that. Well, I mean, I mean I, we've already discussed this, but... Yeah, like, we, no we choice, thought he was but... going to be traded, right? He just... Yeah, but, well, he actually, but they decided name, to keep him. His name was popping up before Pools was. Was it? Yeah, this uh, offseason. Yeah, so... so like, I, I, I think it... they were looking to move him. And they just didn't find the right deal. But, yeah, like... Maybe, maybe. I think our roster... We're in trouble if Kaminga isn't, like, good. Because here's the thing. Uh, we don't have a backup small forward like Otto. I know Sarge can do some stuff, but I view him more as like a five, four kind of. I don't know. We need kind of like a backup three. We don't have like a backup three right now. Oh, yeah. I'm not looking at Kuminga as a backup three. I'm looking at him as a backup four. Oh, okay, okay, okay. okay. That's where backup okay. four as in the guy who comes in to close the game. And where you does that what I'm saying? Okay, okay. All right. Okay. You, we still want that guy, right? You said yourself that Sarge – might not be a closer level type of player. I agree. I don't that, think right? he is. I don't think he's not I don't in know that position. GP is probably our best option. Yeah, actually, right now, know, to be honest, like I, the idea of Draymond and Sarich does intrigue me to some extent for sure in terms of a four I, or five. We, then, okay, let me put it this: Clay would need to get back to like. He would need to be like really solid defense. Like he needs to. I'm not saying 2017 Clay, but he needs to be like at least like 70 percent of 2019 Clay. Okay, let's jump to that. Let's jump to that. Like defensively. Let's jump to that because we literally saw Clay Thompson. Um, the last few weeks, like two, three weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tell me, tell me, what, do, what do you think? A lot of playoff, a lot of just runs, a lot of pickup games, a lot of just, um, just in the gym, just just hooping with a bunch of you know NBA players or non NBA players. He's just been been getting a lot of work in, and I've been paying attention. Uh, and even like a month ago or so, like this was like three weeks ago, I noticed he looked like slim. He looked in shape. He looked like, like, toned kind of, almost like a little bit on the on the slimmer side of things right like when Steph looks a little bit slim like you can kind of notice Clay looked definitely like he lost like 10 pounds and he looked just like he gained like he looked just toned and he just looked very fit more in shape than he did last year because last year he looked a little bit slow and sluggish and um a little bit heavy at times and so you know to start the year last year he was just abysmal and and really defensively he was just a step and a half slow offensively he was that was a problem of its own just hijacking shots and all that stuff and just not playing really like slow and, way under uh 40 percent. he was like 32 33 yeah. for the first was three weeks yeah but i'm watching him in these runs and obviously you know it's you gotta take it with a grain of salt but at the end of the day like i know when the approach is right and I feel like Clay is taking this offseason very seriously. I think he, he looks to be extremely locked in. So, yeah, Clay's just been looking, like, very uh, in shape. He looked like he's approaching this offseason with a lot of intent to, you know, 
uh, coming to next season, hit the ground running. He, he looks to be taking, you know, these, these runs uh, very seriously and just on both ends, like he he's locked in, sliding his feet, getting contests up, uh, really picking his, his spots. Like he doesn't look like he's just casually out there playing pickup. He looks like he is locked in to, you know, he's almost be, you know, detail oriented. He has like a look in his eye that he's hungry and he's trying to, you know, hit the ground running and, and, and start off next season strong um, as opposed to kind of getting his legs underneath him three, four months in, right? Like last season, he only started to get going around January, February. And so it seems as if Clay looks to be way more uh, locked in and focused into next season and being in being the best version of himself being in midseason form to start the year, right? And so I, I just see almost like it, it's nothing you can quantify. It's it's very – and it's difficult to even qualify um, in terms of just like what exactly the observations are. But I'm just observing a guy that looks – like he also he's in the contract year, right? Like he's going to demand a lot of money. And so he understands he's going to have to earn it and deserve it. So to, for him to put, put himself in that position, he's going to have to be ready for starting off next season strong and like coming in with the right approach and the right mentality, but also allowing his body to follow suit, right? And that means on both ends, like like offensively needing to be quick and, and sharp off of the, the, the motion cuts and the, and the, the, the curls, you know, on the perimeter and, just being like a step quicker than his and then than the defenders and then de- defensively just moving laterally sticking with you know the offensive players being shifty being you know quick enough to like rotate and and close out and sharp like that stuff he just didn't have last year at all really like and the moments he did were very few and far between i think next season he he seems to be taking um his approach very seriously and I'm just watching a guy that looks extremely locked in. And I don't really need to see much else. Like, I, I think I've seen enough from this offseason from Clay. Outside of Kaminga, because we've seen a lot of Kaminga tape uh, in terms of offseason workouts and kind of getting, like, uh, like work in and stuff. He's done some open runs of his own. But Clay has probably been the most outside of Kaminga. Maybe some stuff we've seen, but, like, Clay's right there in terms of just, like, watching him hoop and like get a lot of work in um take it seriously like last season he really didn't play much at all like he came into season out of shape didn't really get a ton of offseason work in um kind of skipped out on those runs that we're that we're seeing him you know participate in now so it's just a great sign i think he's really mentally locked in to uh redeeming himself from the 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 really bad playoff run he had last year. So I'm, I'm excited. And I think I'm projecting a positive year from clay and I'm even more encouraged, especially because I saw some defensive clips yesterday. And when you see him taking these defensive, um, these defensive possessions seriously in open runs, like it's definitely something to, you know, take into account because we rarely see players do that. And, and, and clay looks to be on a mission. I think so. he heard. I think he heard all the noise. <clears throat> That's a good breakdown of uh, what Clay Thompson's been up to and what we can expect from him in the upcoming season. <clears throat> I think maybe he'll for him too. Maybe there will be just a little more clarity now that Jordan Poole is out of the picture. He doesn't have to share the floor with him, uh, so that that's yet another guy who wants to score as much as Clay does uh, when they're out on the floor at the same time. I think that will bring more kind of balance to their offense and a little more unity and defensively, obviously if Clay's going to, <clears throat> I think he heard all the noise, <clears throat> you know, we certainly talked about and criticized his inability to defend and all these things throughout the course of last year, especially um, when it came to the playoffs and all that. And I think he heard all the noise. I think he, did a lot of reflection in the off season. Uh, when you, when you think about the conversation that he had with Paul George, right. Uh, a lot of reflecting, a lot of like, you know, just even the beef that he had with 
Booker and these other guys trash talk, talking about four rings. And, you know, he was reflecting. He's like, oh, that was stupid. Like, I just don't need to be doing any of that stuff. And so <clears throat> when I think of Clay, it kind of it's interesting to think about. And this is kind of more down the line. But what Jordan Poole and Draymond went through from a contractual standpoint we have that situation going into this season with Clay and Kuminga. So, you know what I mean? Because Kuminga, he's, he's, by the end of this year, his third year will be done. The team will have to make a decision on what they want to do with him, right? <clears throat> Where And Clay is also, his, like you said, is a contract year. So they're going to have to pay somebody. And it's obviously going to be Clay. We're, we're assuming, right? And where does that yeah. leave Kuminga? I don't think the team's going to be able to pay Kuminga. I don't think he was ever meant to stay with the Warriors long term. I don't think he was meant to fit with the Warriors long term, unless he shows something drastically different in which he can play a, uh, the power forward position uh, and uh, be an asset uh, to the Warriors uh, to the in the playoffs alongside Wiggins and Draymond. <clears throat> Whereas right now, uh, to this point, he's been too small and unreliable to play that role. So um, I see that correlation with Clay and Kuminga in this upcoming season. They'll have to share the floor as well. When Clay comes, you know, he plays with the second unit. He's going to be playing with like CP and Kuminga and stuff like that, probably. Right. So, and how does that work out uh, in terms of like Kuminga, they talk about Kuminga being more of a roller now uh, playing alongside Chris Paul and stuff like this. Uh, So can they even that out? Because we know Kuminga also wants to score. So that's a similar problem in terms of sharing the floor with a guy like Clay. Uh, <clears throat> if you're going to throw Wiggins in there too, uh, and Chris Paul is also a scorer. We can't just act like he's he's just a you know a playmaker only, and he only gets five points per game or something like that. He's always been a you know even in the latter parts of his career, it's like at worst, it's like 14 points. You know, so yeah, we'll see. But I, I thought that that thought was interesting in regards to the Clay and. Kuminga dynamic. 100%. Yeah, I think, you know, Clay's obviously on a mission. Um, and I think his fit next to CP is going to be extremely uh, helpful from an, uh, a standpoint where you, we saw what Chris Paul has done with JJ Redick. We've seen what he can do with guys like Cam Johnson. Like, I'm just intrigued to see like a Spain pick and roll, right? Where you have Kuminga diving to the basket, cutting down the middle, being like a rim presence and, and, and providing some pressure. And then having Clay come off a curl and 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 just off the ball, like commanding that respect and attention from the defense. Like, and then the, the, they have to make a decision. Are we gonna overplay the Kaminga drive? Are we gonna let you know Clay kind of get free? And then on top of that, like CP making that decision down the middle, um, you know, operating in the mid-range, kind of like making that decision, or like taking the mid-range himself. That's just like a beautiful play right there that we can add to this to this uh, playbook that we have. And it's something that the Suns ran last year where like you got DeAndre basically cutting down the middle and then Booker coming off the curl. So it's something that CP has been familiar with. We can add it at this wrinkle to the pick and roll to, to our, uh, to our offense. So, you know, like you said, like, I, I just think Clay is, is going to be in an, in a situation next season where off the ball, he's, he's going to be in heaven uh, just with all of the, the playmaking and the gravity that's going to be around him. Uh, with guys like Kaminga, you know, getting more run, Sarich as a spacer, CP as a passer. Obviously, you still got Wiggins and Steph. You know, de- defenses have to respect their ability to to score. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I expect him to be much more intentional and surgical with how he picks his spots, um, patient, and and within the flow. Now, obviously, he's Clay, so he's going to take some shots here and there where are maybe ill-advised or, uh, you know, break the offense a bit. But that's part of his game, obviously, just because, you know, he he's a microwave type of scorer, so he's going to get, you know, shots up. But I think he's gonna, we're going to see him much more, um, you know, much greater focus on being effective rather than productive. And so, like, I think with that, what basically I'm saying is, Maybe his production goes down a bit, but we're going to see him be more highly effective in those possessions. So maybe he doesn't average 22, 23 like he did last year, but he'll be around, you know, 19 or 20 
but his efficiency is going to go up. His usage and his possessions are going to go down. He's going to be far more efficient and effective on and off the ball because he's much more uh, intentional with how he's going to attack the defense. And I think that's the key is like, how does he decide to pick apart a defense? Because I still think he can, but he needs to be much sharper with how he, uh, you know, approaches that. So uh, I think last season he was less uh, poignant with, you know, taking advantage of mismatches, rushing shots, not necessarily being uh, effective in those situations. I think he can be much better with space, with the with the new uh, roster overhaul, but also like just being more um, mindful of like understanding how to be, you know, a positive in other ways outside of just getting shots up, right? You can pick your spots, pick your possessions and be more, uh, you know, intentional with how you, how you attack. So I think that's something that we can see, we're going to see from him. Um, but yeah, he looks in shape. That's one thing that I took away from this offseason. He looks like he's in in-game shape, mid-season form. He looks a little bit sharper and quicker. Uh, he looks locked in on both ends. And I think that's a huge deal. Because I don't think we've ever seen that from Clay. Uh, that I can remember, at least in recent memory. So, yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, I appreciate everybody for listening, and uh, we're gonna have uh, you know another episode pretty soon. Uh, obviously, we mentioned earlier the Magic Steph a debate. Um, but like I said before, make sure to download the Odyssey app and turn on the auto download feature, and uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you. Twenty Four Hundred Sports is an Odyssey company.